0: I'm really excited to have Paula Hart here. She came into my life when I was three years old. Yep. And she's been kind of like a second mom to me. I have lots of memories of her delicious cheesecakes and sweet tea and lasagna and summers at her house in sprinklers and parks and getting in trouble and getting hurt (laughs) (laughs) and all kinds of crazy adventures Um, that were all Alicia's fault, (laughs) her middle daughter. I mean, man, what a bad influence on me. (laughs) No, we had too much fun um, growing up. And um, part of the reason that it's so incredible that she's coming on today is this podcast is all about miracles. And one of the things that is crazy is the first time I really heard Paula's testimony was when I was a lot older and I've always known Paula as my second mom, just this polished lady who is always beautiful, <laughs> whose kids always looked really cute, that came to church and was kind and funny and, and everything. And so when I heard her her history and where she came from, it really is a miracle. You know, depending on who's listening now, you may or may not know Paula, but she's married to an evangelist pastor Hart, who's very powerful. He preaches all over the world. And so I think so many times there's people who come into our church or a church and they see people who look like, man, they really have their lives together. I don't fit here. I don't belong here. Yeah. If they have any history or anything. Mm-hmm. And it is such a lie from hell because everybody has their story. And this mm-hmm. story is a miracle. And so Paula's here today to talk to us about her conversion to Christ. Without further ado, Ray, here's Paula. This is her story.
1: I grew up in Farmington, New Mexico. I had a very good home. My parents were good people. They were um, middle class people. My dad was a pharmacist and we um, moved to Farmington, New Mexico when I was two years old. My parents were busy. They were very busy building their careers and building the drugstore. And as a result of that, I um, became a rebellious teenager. It wasn't their fault by any means because, again, they were very good people. But I think I was lacking attention, and I was seeking attention in different ways and means. And so I got mixed up with the wrong crowd and started smoking pot by the time I was 14 years old my best friend and I um she's the one that introduced me to it and my parents you know they again they weren't clueless but they were busy you know they just kind of it's not like they left me to myself but um there was a lot of times that I should have had supervision (laughs) (laughs) that's a good way to put that (laughs) and it was kind of like okay well what's this all about mm-hmm. okay. but the first time led to the second time to the third time to the dozen other times and we tried alcohol you we were mm-hmm. trying alcohol and i couldn't stand it it was horrible it's you know <laughs> again burn the throat yeah yeah and it's i like, like well, my
2: throat why is, <laughs> why is this always burning yeah <laughs> Okay, well, let's
1: just get through this. And everybody likes that. You know, everybody's getting high and they look like they're having such a good time. And so was that the motivating factor for you was, was like fitting in with
0: your peers or was it curiosity?
1: Both. Yeah, both.
0: And would your parents have, had they taught you it was like, did you know
1: that you shouldn't be doing it? I really didn't because, um, I mean, you know, we all have a conscience and we all know right from wrong. The thing about that is that, you know, my parents were drinkers. They weren't drunks by any means. They were good, respectable people, but they were drinkers. And they had dinner parties, and they, you know, threw their little little things. And, and so I was observing them. But at the same time, I saw their life and how empty their life was. And it's crazy that I would kind of fall into that. Mm-hmm. You know, none of us knew Jesus. My mom, it, she got saved when I was 19, but that was way after my teenage years had passed. Mm-hmm. She witnessed to me and I I had crazy friends and crazy boyfriends and my parents are like, you can't hang out with these people. And I'm like, well, you hang out with people that party. You know, what's <laughs> the difference here? <laughs> and they said well no this this type of people but they never did really fully explain it because i don't think they really could you know they didn't really um, and I, I said well you know if you want me to hang out with rich kids and doctors kids is that's what you're talking about i said they you know they're doing the same thing but they they it was all about image it, it got to the point where i was really a handful and so my parents um, set up counseling sessions with this woman named Carol Halverson, and she was a juvenile prob- probation officer. I wasn't juvie. I wasn't on probation, mm-hmm. but I, I was headed there. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was headed there very quickly. Wow. Well, this woman, I I fought and scratched and cried and yelled, I'm not going to go see her. I do not want to meet her. I want nothing to do because I was a rebellion. I was just a rebellious teenager. I was a mess. And so my mom took me there and said, you will go. I'm going to walk you in the office and you're going to sit there and you're going to counsel with this woman. Well, this lady and I ended up being great friends and she was beautiful and I just loved her and she listened to me and that's what I really needed was somebody you know I'm 15 years old I just needed somebody to listen to me she's actually my husband's mom oh wow (laughs) okay that's
0: a twist plot
1: twist and she she was a beautiful woman I really really loved her and so she visited with me and, and took time with me, and once a week I would go to see her, and I wasn't I was still sneaking around on the site and hanging out with the bad people and getting stoned the bad people. I was a bad pe- I was a bad person. <laughs> but she helped me. She kind of put things into perspective for me and showed me, you know where my life could lead if I ended up staying with these people these same friends if i still chose that lifestyle and so my parents decided to send me to a boarding school in utah and i was devastated i felt such rejection from that and i said i promise i will be good i do not want to get sent away i and it was don't get me wrong it's not like boarding school like you would think oh my gosh you know the abuse and things like that it wasn't like that at all it was a very expensive boarding school Mm -hmm. and kids that graduated from there actually got all kinds of scholarships and
0: was it for troubled kids
1: not necessarily although there were troubled kids there and I found them I I, I sure did (laughs) we all hooked up and (laughs) I just got stoned with different kids
0: In this time, like you're going to therapy, you obviously are have you have the disapproval of your parents. Was there anything in you that thought you should change or knew you should change or at the at that time were you thinking, like, this is how I want to live?
1: You know, I didn't want to live that way because I, I it was miserable. And I knew, but I, I knew that that's not what I wanted. I just didn't know. What to do or how to change. I didn't know, we had no spiritual guidance at all in our family. And again, I, I want to reiterate that I, my parents were very good people. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were, you know, mm-hmm. they were messed up themselves. Their marriage was not happy, and that was very evident. Mm-hmm. So I I go to the school, and um, I'm just miserable there. I really am, although I'm gaining all these friends, and we're having fun. Mm -hmm. But I knew I was so empty. I I knew that there was something missing, but I didn't know what it was. I had no clue, no clue. I only stayed for one semester, but it seemed like a whole school year. It really did. And I, I would call my mom and dad on Sunday night and I would cry. Just let me come home. I'll be good. I'll get new friends, please. (laughs) (laughs) I did go home um, at, during the summer. I, I didn't hang out with some of the same friends that I did. Although I did have other friends that still were still on that same path. They just weren't as harsh as some of the other ones that I was hanging out with. Like some of my friends broke into my parents' house when we were gone mm. and stole a bunch of my mom's jewelry and a bunch of their coats and, and things like that. And we get home and I'm devastated because I knew, I knew that that was my friends that did that. I knew it because they knew we were gone. Wow. And, um, you know, the detectives got right on it. My parents had friends all over Farmington that were, you know, professional people, sheriffs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and the detectives, they got right on it. And they knew exactly who took the stuff and exactly when they did it. and yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really sad because it, they never even said anything to me mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. They just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah it's really sad when you, it's harsh reality in life. When you hang out with the wrong crowd, Mm
2: -hmm. it's just their lifestyle. It's
1: what they do. It's who they are. Yeah, it is. And it's who they for themselves. They are. Yeah. Yeah. And these people, God only knows what their parents were like for Mm -hmm. them to break into somebody's house and rob them like that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, life goes on fast forward. And, um, I, I had met Chris when I was 15. He and I met then, and but he went on to Denver. He was back and forth mm. with his dad in Denver, and um, I, I liked him. I had a big crush on him. <laughs> but again, he took off and went to Denver, and he ended up marrying up there. And then I ended up um, marrying when I was 18, five days after my 18th birthday. My boyfriend and I eloped we got married and it didn't it didn't last it just i just wanted out of the house basically Mm -hmm. i just wanted away from everything and still searching i ended up leaving him because he was going out he was 21 i was 18 he was 21 and he would go out after work and drink with his buddies and i'm 18 years old i'm a kid basically (laughs) and i have to cook meals and clean the house and i'm like this isn't fair I'm way too young for this, so I took off. <laughs> I took off. I, <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. And so I um, met up with some friends of mine and we decided hey, let's go to Oklahoma City. And so <laughs> I get down there, I'm like, why did we do this? <laughs> and what is here?
0: And so, anyway. It... Sorry to all the Oklahoma listeners. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She was not impressed. <laughs> We're going to get comments.
1: Top 10
2: things to do in Oklahoma
1: City. <laughs> oh, gosh. It was just a really bad time of my life. Really, really bad time of my life. I got mixed up with um, methamphetamine. Wow.
0: Why Oklahoma City? What happened?
1: Well, it was some friends that I went with, and they had relatives there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had, like, a somewhere to land your Yeah, there was a there. connection there. And okay. I had actually started um, dabbing into meth a little bit. hmm before I left my husband, my first husband, and so I'm like, well, this is kind of neat, you know, I can Mm -hmm. stay up all night, and hey, just buzz Mm -hmm. around, so anyway, the people that I was hanging out with, uh, that we went to Oklahoma City with, Mm -hmm. they were doing a lot of meth, Mm okay, and you know, what could possibly go wrong, yeah, Uh, now you're (laughs) surrounded, surrounded by it, oh my goodness, and so, It it just, it was, it was bad. It was, it was a bad lifestyle. Um, I had lived in places that my mom would have shuddered. She never knew, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't raised like that. I was raised in a good home.
0: My husband struggled with that and was, he was a church kid. So he definitely knew like, I shouldn't do this. I'm just wondering if you had a similar experience because he talks about how, he had always been taught, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then he tried it and he's like, this is phenomenal. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? There's a reason people get there addicted is. to it. Absolutely. And he said, I felt like I was lied to. I'm. He was like, these church people lied to me. This is the best thing ever because I can forget about my insecurity. Yeah. I can forget about what I'm going through. And I can, I can be a Superman. I mean, like I, he said all his social anxiety dropped, And so of course this is not like an infomercial for meth, right? (laughs) Because the destruction that comes after, but just how easy it is for someone to be like, yeah, I want to try that. And then you're hooked because reality and like what you're going through in life, especially I feel like when you're really going through something, it, it pulls you in. It does.
1: It really does. And you do, you do feel invincible when you're high on meth. You just feel like you're on the top of the world, but when it wears off, you feel three times worse when you crash. It's horrible. And so then you, you do it again, but it's not quite the same as it was the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm talking consecutive days. Okay. So if you, if you leave it for a week or so and then you do it again then you've got that euphoria Mm -hmm. like you did the the first time you know but uh, but if you do it in consecutive days it's not the same you're not going to get high like that and you become you start becoming paranoid and irritable and Mm -hmm. um, we had an apartment and we had been up for two days partying partying we're on our third night There was a friend of mine. He was more of a a friend of a friend, I should say. And he had received a settlement from getting burned on an oil rig. And so he took all his settlement and bought a Lincoln Continental and partied from one end of the United States back through the other and came back. He had just gotten back that day and came over to our apartment uh, that night. And um, for whatever reason... There was a gun sitting. Somebody brought a gun. It was a little twenty-two pistol, and they set it down on the table. And, again, everybody's methed out, you know. And there's pot. There's, we're getting stoned. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And I told my friend, I said, I'm done. I've, I've been up too long. I'm going to bed. And so um, they're still partying. So I went in my bedroom and put my pajamas on. I closed the door, and I hear a gunshot. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I go out, and everybody scr- It was Christmas time. My Christmas tree was up. Everybody's scrambling around, scrambling around, looking for the bullet. Well, Dave had passed out on the couch, and so nobody thought to look wow. to him. And they found the bullet, and it had lodged in his chest. Oh, my God! So what had happened is this guy picked up the gun, and it went off. I mean, total freak accident. It was awful. And so the paramedics come, they knock down my Christmas tree. There's mayhem. It's a mess all over my front room. It's just, it's just a wreck, you know, and I'm freaking out. We're all going to go to jail. And it was just, it was awful, 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 awful. And mm-hmm. so um, we all got pulled into the station and questioned individually. They, we all came up with the same story, which was, you know, it's an mm-hmm. accident. It was a total accident. And so anyway, got back home, and all I remember is sleeping for two days, and then we went to the funeral. Never occurred to me where his soul would lie, because I'd never heard anything where you're going to go. I mean, I always had the theory like most people have. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. And I didn't feel like I was really bad. You know, I hadn't killed anybody or robbed anybody or murdered anybody or you know any of that and so you know again there's there was no concept of christ there was no heaven hell there it never even crossed my mind where dave could have gone i i had no idea i we went to the funeral i don't remember anything about the preaching cuz i had just woke up from two days of sleeping you know you would think at that point, you would want to change, and but it, I didn't know how. I didn't know how. I didn't know where to begin. I didn't know how to make new friends. I didn't know what kind of friends to hang with. I didn't know if I could hang with the good people because they're not going to want me to hang out with them. I, I'm a mess, you know. I smoke pot and I'm doing meth and skinny as a rail and just a mess. You know, my life was a wreck.
2: At what age are you about this time when your friend dies?
1: Um, well, we had gone, we had already made our way back to Farmington. So okay. it was in Farmington that my, my friend did die. And I was probably, gosh, I was only like 19, 20, okay. right around there.
2: So about like a year But it seems
1: like so much time had elapsed. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So how did, how did Chris enter the picture and sweep you off your feet? Chris came, um, I was working at Godfather's Pizza and he came in one night and he's like, hey, how you doing? And so we hooked up that night and decided, hey, let's go have, let's go drink. Let's go have a beer. And so we went across the street to this bar and, and closed it down. And, you know, we just, we were two really messed up people. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, why not? Let's
0: let's just see if this will work. I think you said you had a crush on him before. I did, yeah. Was that the first time you saw him after all this?
1: No, I had seen him before, out and about. And we would would say hi and whatever. But we were both busy partying our own mess of a life. And so six (laughs) months later, we decide we're going to move in together. So we move in, and and it just got got really, really bad because Chris was a cocaine addict. He's doing a lot of coke, and... You know, I, I did some coke with him, and I thought, I can't go back into this. I just, I cannot. And so he's out partying a lot. We li- we're living together two years. We're, we're together about two years, and so I'm thinking, I'm I'm done. I, I've got to do something to change my life. Back up a little bit, I had um, started going to church with my mom. She was going to a Baptist church, and my mom really did love God. She was just, she witnessed to me, and... So I started going to church with her and I answered an altar call there. And I felt God. I, I really did. And I went forward and I answered the altar call. But there was no challenge to change. And I was the type of person I needed a lot of challenge because <laughs> I love to party and I love to I just love to get high and party with my friends. And, and so, you know, uh, Chris and I, we're trying to go to church here and there. It's, a, it's a kind of a joke. He grew up in a Baptist church. And his parents actually had divorced when he was 10. And um, his mom died. She died when she was 46 years old of a brain aneurysm. And yeah. she was an incredible woman. She was the mayor of Bloomfield, the small community from Farmington, where we're from. It's a little suburb of Farmington. And so I did see him at the funeral. Um, and he had he had his girlfriend with him there. And so anyway, um, so his parents had divorced when he was 10. So there was a, a lot of brokenness there in, in his family, too. And so uh, we're trying to go to church. We're trying to think, well, maybe this is what we need. And mm-hmm. so we would get out of church, and we would light up a joint and get high <laughs> it's like we, you know we there again there was no holy ghost challenge there mm-hmm. and chris and i were both the type of people we needed that that challenge we needed that in our lives after about two years i got tired of it i just got tired of the lifestyle i got tired of the cocaine i got tired of smoking pot i got tired of all of it i said i I've, I've got to change i've just got to do something here and so i left him i left him and um he was devastated. He's like chasing me, trying to get me to come back, and I'm like, no, I, I'm done. I can't. I can't be doing coke, and I can't be living this life. I'm done with it. What
0: What was What was going on that made you leave? Like, what What was frustrating you about the life?
1: Well, um, he would go out partying with his friends, and he would pull all nighters. Mm. And um, when you're high on cocaine and you're high on meth or whatever. You just, you're just, it's all night, you know? Mm -hmm. He knew I was straight and he didn't want to come home because I'm straight and I would probably nag at him because you're doing coke again and all of that. And so um, I just thought, you know, there's no future in this. I'm I'm leaving. And so a week, a week after I left him, we'd lived together two years. Um, A week after I left him, I found out I was pregnant with Caleb and i was very upset i was really mad at god especially i'm like why have you done this why now why i'm i had gotten my own apartment by this time and i'm laying on the couch and i was sick i had strep throat and i'm pregnant and so i hear this truck and i look out and it's his big blue truck and he pulls up and he's got this huge duffel bag and he just walks in like he lives there (laughs) (laughs) and he throws that duffel bank down on the floor i said what are you doing and he says i'm i'm gonna live here this is where i'm gonna live i said no you're not you need to go back to your sisters or your brothers or you're not living here and he said no i'm gonna live here and we're gonna we're gonna make this right we're gonna we're gonna raise this kid wow it just got worse honestly it just got worse because he wasn't gonna change We, you know, we decided, okay, we're going to make this work. And he says, well, let's get married. I said, no, I'm not going to get married just because I'm pregnant. I don't want to do that. I, I, you know, what's love got to do with it anyway? (laughs) And so we have Caleb. And um, I knew when I was pregnant with him, I knew there was something up. I I just didn't, even though he was my first child, I was 25 years old. And um, I just felt like there was something not right because he wasn't moving and all my you know a lot of my friends are pregnant and they're talking about the baby moving and the way they're feeling and i'm like i'm not feeling any of that and so um the baby would move every once in a while and so i told my doctor and the and it was this is 35 years ago and the doctor said well does the baby move once a day and i said well yeah but sometimes i have to make the baby move once a day and um, he didn't he didn't impose tests on me, but, you know, here we are, a single, I'm single, and we're an unmarried couple, and we don't have insurance, and so maybe that's why he didn't push any tests or anything. And so um, when I had Caleb, um, Dr. Vassell was my doctor, and he said, you know, I think I think the baby might have Down syndrome. And so he says, we're going to take blood, and we're going to see but I had to wait two weeks for that blood test to come back because we lived in Farmington, and they had to send the blood to Albuquerque to the university. Wow. So I had to wait, but I knew. I already knew. And one of the nurses says, I, I don't think he is. I'm not seeing it. And uh, you couldn't visibly see that because mm-hmm. he was just so darn cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they could tell by the test that they do when they're born.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay.
1: And um, so anyway, the test did come back that he is definitely has Down syndrome. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, the nurse comes in, one of the head nurses there, and she tells me, she says, you know, she says, um, you can choose to put this child in a home. And I said, "Uh, what? (laughs) Why would you say that? And she says, well, you know, his condition and everything. And I said, that's my baby. That is my baby. Even though I had the sense of a gnat at the time, he was my baby and my firstborn. And there's no way, I mean, I never even thought to terminate the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, you know, I I knew I was going to have that baby. And so, um, you know, she's telling me, well, do you even understand what Down syndrome is? And she gives me a medical book. And it's like four inches thick, I'm not lying. And she opens it up and there's these little tiny words explaining Down syndrome. And it's all medical terminology. I could as well might as well have been reading German. And so I'm like, Well that that tells me a lot. But then the pediatrician came in and she was wheeling the bassinet and she was the um She wasn't the pediatrician that I had requested because my pediatrician was out of town, but she was partners with him, and her name was Gretchen Seelinger. And I'll never forget her. She's tiny, wasn't bigger than a minute. She's just a cute little pediatrician, and she's holding him, and she said, he is just so cute, and she's loving on him and stroking his little face. And she said, I want you to take this baby home, and I just want you to love him. That's what you need to do with this baby," she mm. said. "And he's going to reward you. You're going to see. He, there's going to be a lot of reward. And I can't get that. It's like, okay, you know, I've got this child that's mentally retarded. How am I going to be rewarded? Yeah. I, in the back of my mind, I never. Mm. Hopefully, I never showed that. You know. I took I took him home, and Chris was totally on board with it. Even with Caleb being handicapped, I thought, this is it. He's going to leave. He's going to take off because of his history, because he's a coke addict, and he's a mess. And, but we took that baby home, and that baby changed our lives totally. He played with Caleb, and he loved on him, and just... You know, he he was so precious. And the doctors are telling me he's not going to do this. He'll never do that. Never, never, never. And I thought, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong. And so they told me he wasn't going to gain weight, that I would have to make him eat. And we can all see Caleb today. (laughs) No force feeding there. But he, he weighed 19 pounds by the time he was six months old. So he was very healthy. He was. And he was so precious. Just such a such a delight. I, I can't explain it until you've held a baby with Down syndrome. And just they wrap those chubby arms around you. and And even to this day, Caleb knows when I'm going through stuff. And he'll come up and pray for me. But he's just, it's just precious. So we, um, we got married when Caleb was a month old. We did get married. And then, um, he got, I, I just, you know, the lifestyle was still edgy. And we had this friend of Chris's that worked with him. Chris was a drywall contractor. And, um. He kept inviting us to church, and I said, we go to church. We, we go to the Baptist church, and we're still getting high, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, yeah, well, that's the problem. You guys need to get delivered. You guys need to surrender to Christ. You know, I said, well, I have. I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, no, you need to surrender. And he said, you need to go to a revival. And he kept badgering us and badgering us. And so finally, it's like, okay, let's go. Let's just get this guy to shut up. So we go to this little church on Main Street in Farmington, nothing like the Baptist Church, the big fancy cushion chairs in the Baptist Church that we had gone to. And it's just this little folding chair, Place with wooden floors that creaked and bad paint. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked around and and, uh, so we're looking around and these people are speaking in tongues and they're worshiping God. And it's just like, what's going on here? This is odd. I've never seen anything like this. And so um, we got out of there alive. And decided we'd never go back because that's the weirdest thing we've ever seen in our lives. But the next day, I could not shake it. I could not shake it. There was the the pastor that was there. Um, his name was Gordon Hastings, and the man that was doing the revival that week was named Tom Payne. And two years later, Gordon Hastings uh, left that church, and Tom Payne ended up taking it over, which was amazing. So anyway, uh, um, I got saved the second night. I went, I just couldn't shake it. Those people, their faces kept coming to my mind. And um, I kept seeing them, and I thought, they've got something I don't. And so I started getting ready, and Chris says, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to go to church. And he said, to that church? (laughs) You're going to go to that church? And I said, you know, Chris, there's something there that I need and it, I need to surrender. I need to give my life to Jesus. And he says, you go ahead. He said, that church is weird. I'm not going. And so I went, and I get home. We lived in a mobile home, and he had put a 250-watt halogen bulb in the light socket in the porch light, and I'm blinded by the time I walk up to the <laughs> porch. And I open the door, and he's blowing pot smoke in my face. I mean, he was... And I said, you know, I'm done. I'm done, Chris. I am done. Tonight I gave my life to Jesus. I surrendered. And I am done with this life. I'm done with it. And um, he said, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. You love getting high too much. And I said, I'm done. I am. And so he kept taunting me and walking around the house and blowing smoke at me. And I said, you need to leave me alone. And so the next night, I get ready and he's starting to get ready. And he puts his black cowboy hat on and his Budweiser shirt. And I'm like, great, I've got a fight on my hands here. Because I thought he's going to the bar. And so I, I get in the car and he comes, and he gets in the car and he <laughs> slams the door. <laughs> He goes, well, let's go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. He was dressed for church. He was
1: dressed, ready to go, all polished. He had the
2: cowboy hat on. (laughs) church ready, baby. And the Budweiser shirt. And the Budweiser shirt. shirt.
1: (laughs) He was ready. And so he he got saved that night. It was two years later that Pastor Payne came and took that work. And uh, that's when reality hit Chris. And it, it was a good thing. Because he was playing games and he was in and out, I never knew if he what he was gonna do. You know, I never. He would always go back up to the altar and repent, and it got to the point where I was just sick and tired of it. I just wanted to go behind him and kick him when he was down. <laughs> Did you ever kneeling, kick him? <laughs> kneeling at the <laughs> altar? I'm gonna kick him. I'm gonna and, kick uh, him. You know, I'm done with this. And so, anyway, he, um, Pastor Payne, just confronted him. I mean, really confronted him and, and just about his, his character. And this is something that nobody, nobody has ever done to Chris in his whole life. And it could have gone either way. Right. It could have gone either way. But Chris has such a great heart. You know, he really does. He, he ended up just really, really getting saved. I mean, really getting saved and on fire on fire for God and just loving Jesus. And I knew, I knew Chris was called. I knew he was. You know what is cool? Uh, What I love it, you know,
2: listening to you tell this story and you're saying, you know, you're going through it and you're saying, man, I really felt God, but I needed to be challenged. You said that a couple of times. Yeah. And then it's funny how God puts this man in your life that is, won't quit. I'm challenging you, I'm challenging you, you need to come, you need to come, and you been oh no, we're fine, and he says, no, you're not, yeah. you know, yeah. which is funny, because not everybody would do that, some people would say, okay, I take your word for it, great, see you later, I invited them. go on my way, and there was strategically a man that challenged you, mm-hmm. Challenge and you get saved, and Chris, in and out, in and out, and then God puts a pastor in your life. That challenges you yes, that God. changed the entire course of your whole life. Thank God. Which yes. is crazy because the first thing you said was, I, I felt God, but I needed to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And that just wow. blows my mind that like strategically, you know, and I'm sure there's more examples, but these two p- like pivotal moments, you know, you could have gotten any pastor, you could have had any friend. Yeah. And
1: God gave you someone who challenged you and Absolutely. Like, wow, here we are today. And you know the beauty of it is um I I never I mean I would cry out to God but not really knowing how mm-hmm. to really cry out to God um like some people are are thinking well I don't know how to do that I would never mm-hmm. and I didn't know how but yeah. God took my simple cry and I said you have got to help us here we don't know what to do our lives are a wreck you know and and I didn't even know how to pray I didn't know how to how I didn't know mm-hmm but God honored it and God said, I'm going to help these people. (laughs) They're a mess. They really are a train wreck. They really need some help here. And God in an instant delivered my husband and delivered myself. I mean, I am so grateful for men of God that will stand and stay the course. I thank God that I am challenged to this day.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I am challenged. I'm challenged to be a better person person a better Christian mm-hmm. and I thank God for that I never want that to end in my life
2: oh, that's awesome
1: gospel is simple it really is it's mm-hmm. very simple we don't have to complicate it but I think confusion complicates it religion complicates it people religious people complicate it because some people you'll see in different churches different <laughs> sects of churches different religions you're, you're looking at them and thinking I can never achieve that right. I can never get there right. I'll never be as clean as they are the gospel is so simple I'm, I'm humbled by God's grace I, I truly am I just what God's done for us is just it's too much it really is it's, it's too much